I want to talk today about God's grace that much more abounds. God's grace much more abounds over our sin. Are you hearing me today? You know, something happens. I don't know if I can just chalk it up to human nature, but something happens. Even those of us who have come to the Lord and we realize it's by grace through faith that something, somehow something shifts in our minds sometimes and, 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 and it's like we forget that we are who we are by the grace of God. And we get into kind of a works mindset where we feel like we've got to earn or prove that we are what God has made us to be. And you know, and I don't care how capable you are, I don't care how, uh, how good of a citizen and how good of standing you are and all the morally good deeds you do. If you don't know Christ, not a moral deed, not a good moral deed would save you. Right? And so we have to understand that and humble ourselves. And so, you know, because if moral deeds could save us, then salvation is something that we could earn. And then God's justness can be called into question. Did somebody, did they perform well enough to get their way in or did they not perform? Did somebody get in that doesn't deserve? We've weighed them in the balance and found them wanting. No, that's not what salvation, that's not what the salvation of the Lord is all about. We have this wonderful gift called salvation strictly because of the love, grace, and mercy of our God. And we are who we are in him because of that. Amen? In Christ alone, are we sons and daughters of God. And, and I believe that fact is depicted in the story that we're going to go over today. And I'll start at the 11th verse of Luke chapter 15. And it says, and he said, this is Jesus speaking to his followers. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them, the two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I know oftentimes we look at this prodigal son, you know, and that word prodigal speaks to um, 
reckless, reckless living, lavish living. We're not going to ignore the prodigal son, but we're going to look at the prodigal son in the full context. We're going to look at the prodigal son as it pertains to his relationship with the father and the choices that he made. Now, the prodigal son demanded his inheritance right now. Believe it or not, that wasn't unprecedented. It wasn't totally unprecedented for inheritances. They could either be given after death or before death. And it wasn't incredibly common, but uh, it was, it wasn't precedent setting for the son to make that request. But the father honored that request. Why would he do that? Didn't the father know that this young son had no idea what the real world was about? Didn't the father realize that this child was ignorant of how to handle money and, 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 and how people would take advantage of him and what the temptations of life were out there? The, 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 the young man had lived in his, under his roof the whole time. He knew exactly where his son was at. And yet, the son makes this demand and he grants it. He divides his, the inheritance to both of his sons and gives the younger son his portion. You know what I'm reading to that is that the, the father, as much as he loved the son, he understood free will. And he gave space and allowed the son to go in the direction that the son had decided he was going to go. The son had rejected the way of the dad, and he had his own plans, his own way of living, his own way of doing things. He wanted to do things his own way, and the dad could have denied him that. But the son had to experience the consequences of the way of life he wanted to live in order for him to see the dead-end nature of it and get to a point to where he could come to himself and humble himself and be ready to repent. We ask ourselves a lot of times, why would God allow this? Why would God allow that? Why would God do that? We're second-guessing an armchair quarterback in God. But God in his infinite wisdom knows exactly where we're at. And knows exactly what is necessary to get our attention and get us to the point that we need to be at so we can humble ourselves and get right with God. I praise God for the no's that he has given me in life. Say, God, I really need that. No, I don't want that. I need that, Lord. Then I'm mad at God when I don't get it. And that thing I thought I had, someone else got it and it wrecked their lives. And then I'm thankful to God that he spared me from that. God knew better. But there are things that I did, and I knew I shouldn't have done them. Deep down, I knew I shouldn't have done them, but I did them anyway. And I felt something, you know, that feeling, something tells me I shouldn't do that. That was the Spirit of God checking me. And you know what? That speed bump, I ran right over it. That stop sign, I ran it. God could have made me, he could have made it, he could have made me not do it. He's powerful enough, he's God. But that's not, that's not how he gets our heart. He's powerful enough to stop us from ever doing what we want to do. But that's not the way God's working, and that's not his will for us. He wants us to choose him. He wants us to humble ourselves and choose to
to live in accordance with his will and his way. And as long as there is a conflict between our will and our way and his will and his way, then something's going to have to give. And so here we have, I just want to put this way, the, 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 the dad didn't have to divide that inheritance to the son, but he did it anyway, and he gave him his inheritance, and the, and the son left of his own will because the dad allowed him to leave with his inheritance so that the son could do what he had in his heart to do. And in verse 14, it, this is incredible. And when he had spent everything, it wasn't until all of his resources were gone that the famine hit. God's timing. is incredible. As long as he had resources to do what he wanted to do, he was going to stay on the course that he was on. And God could have provided a cushy landing for him, made life easy for him, gave, given him more resources, but no, he's walking in sin. He's walking contrary to the way of the Lord. So when his resources run out, then the famine's hit. Isn't that how life works? When we're flush, right, drama seems to avoid us. But when we reach the end of our resources, all of a sudden, boom, something hits, and we are really in a pickle at that point. And that's what happens to him. And so he's not a slacker. He hires himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. And, and things got so bad, he's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs were being fed. And even then, no one gave him anything. See, desperate, destitute. Really, we look at this and we look at his actions and we judge his actions. And he's like, oh, the prodigal son, you're so sinful. And then when somebody else is out there, there's just such a prodigal. Look, this kid is destitute and desperate. His condition is the same as our condition apart from Christ. And we may have been holding down two jobs. Uh, we may have had... Uh, a, a, a three-bedroom house with a two-car garage and 2.1 kids and, 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 and all that stuff, and we are responsible citizens, and everything about our lives is something. You know, everything about our lives, people can observe and say, hey, these are good people. These are good folk right there. I wish my family was like that. Even if that is your life, there is, if you don't know Christ, there's no difference between you and the prodigal son. See, this is not about appearances. This, 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 this is not about performance. It's about whether you know the God of your salvation or not. Are you hearing me today? Amen. So here he is. He's destitute. He's desperate. He's in a pig pen wanting to eat what they're feeding the pigs and no one gave him anything. I tell you what, there, there is a void in your heart, a void in your life that only God can fill. Sorry. Again, God could have gave him favor. God could have put it on someone's heart 
to feed him, to house him, to do all those things, but God didn't. You know why? Because that would not have been of spiritual benefit to him. It seems harsh. It seems hard, but really it's the most loving thing that can be done to him because what he needs is to humble himself. What he needs is to repent. What he needs is for his heart to turn to God. See, he needs something more than provision in that moment. He needs something more than food, something more than a new pair of pants. He needs something more than a roof over his head. He needs to be in relationship with the God of his salvation. Amen? Amen. He needed to turn back and go and humble himself and go back to his father. And I love, so I want you to see, kind of redefine in our minds uh, the definition of love because we think, hey, you know what? I love my kids. I do anything for them. Sometimes we'll do anything for them except for the hard thing that they need in order to learn the lesson that they need to learn and grow and mature. It took the worst of circumstances for him to, verse 17, when he came to himself, he said this. See, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. It's, it's amazing how circumstances can change our perspective. He left that house with a certain attitude and perspective about his dad. His dad didn't have the knowledge that he needed. His dad didn't have the way of life that he desired. His dad didn't have the wisdom. You know, he probably had some critical judgments against his dad and against his dad's character. But in his lowest moment, all of a sudden, his dad is redefined to him. He realizes qualities about his dad that he didn't respect or appreciate before. He's seeing things through a different lens. And oftentimes, that's what leads to repentance, right? We need to be checked. We need to be, uh, go through some kind of circumstances to get our attention so that uh, what God has been trying to speak to us and we've not been trying to listen gets our attention and we lower ourselves and we change our perspective. And that leads to repentance. And so he's, he's thinking of his dad in a different light. Man, how many people have my dad blessed with a job so that they could provide for themselves and for their family? I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, I've sinned against heaven and before you. This isn't just a rehearsed practice. I don't really feel this way line. This is where circumstances have brought him. And this is a genuine repentance. And so he arose and went to his father and said exactly what he, what he said he would say to, say to his father. And I love it. He, 20, he arose, came to his father. But look at the father. The father didn't sit there tapping his feet with his arms crossed. Okay, I see him. I'm not going to him, no. He's going to come all the way here. Right? Uh, uh, how he left me? No, 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 no. He's going to have to come and grovel and beg. He's going <laughs> to, all right? Uh, now I'm going to be looking down at him, and I'm going to, uh-huh. So now you come back. You know, I'm going to rub his face in it. No, that's not what God did. That's, uh, well, that's not what the Father did in this story. I love the heart of the Father here because while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, and what did he, what did he feel? Compassion. And ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, I'm sure when he ran up on his son, remember, he's fresh out of the slop and the mire of the pig pen. I'm sure... It didn't take him getting within five feet of him for him to, you know, for the stench to really hit him. 
and yet it says if it's as if it was ne it never happened the smell didn't stop him the look of his son didn't stop him all that mattered was his son had repented and he's come back and you see the heart of the father he's not trying to condemn or judge he's not trying to put him down he's not trying to say i told you so none of that stuff all that matters is the son has repented and he's alive and we were now able to be reconciled that was the heart of the father immediately had compassion he ran to him he embraced him which means he hugged him and he kissed him and then when the son said father I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son I want to point that out because the son left with a sense of entitlement and then he came back with an attitude of I don't even deserve to be called your son I'm not even worthy of that title that I I'm not coming to you as a son who feels you're obligated to do anything for me. I feel like I've sacrificed all that. I was a terrible son. See, there's ownership of his sin. Just like we have to own our sins before God. that grace may abound in our lives. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For he was dead and is alive again. He was lost, he was found. And they began to celebrate and that tells me something that the story the thief on the cross told me as well too is that God wants our hearts if we would but repent humble ourselves repent and receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith we are sons and daughters of God. That's the gospel. And we must not forget the simple message of the gospel. Because you and I know it. We can say it in our sleep. Oh, I know that, Pastor. I mean, I'm looking for some deeper revelation than that. No, 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 no. We don't need deeper revelation in that. What we need is to propagate that. What we need is for that message to, to spread like fire into our communities, into our neighborhoods, so that those that don't know the Lord can hear the message of the gospel and realize, I too, I don't have to be the best individual on my block. I don't have to be the best individual at my job or at my school or at my community and so forth. I don't have to be that. What I need to do is humble myself and accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I am reconciled with God. I belong to him. Oh, my life is loaded down with sin, someone might say. But then God's grace much more abounds. over that sin. Romans 4, starting at verse 3 says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted as a gift, not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. See, that plays out in the interaction between the prodigal son and the dad. He comes to him with a mindset of works. Let me just work 
and earn a living. Let me just work for you, dad. And the dad was like, no, 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 no. You've repented. You're back. You're not a worker. You're my son. I've heard many times over the years, people say, well, I'll come to the, man, I can't be a hypocrite. I'll come to church after I get my life in order. There's too many hypocrites in the church. Of course, they're not in church, but they know there's too many hypocrites in the church. They don't want to be one of those hypocrites. I was like, no, you know, there's hypocrites everywhere, you know. First of all, that's, that's a pretty lame excuse. But sometimes it's just misdiagnosed. There, there aren't hypocrites in the church. There are sinners who have been saved by grace, and they are still growing in the Lord. They're still maturing. They're still, you know, the, 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 the process of sanctification is still happening. So there's going to be times when they mess up. And it doesn't make them... Hypocrites, per se, that makes them imperfect. That means that they still, God's still not finished with them yet. And so it's a misunderstanding. It's not about works. Again, that's judging based on works. And we need to invest time in finding out before we judge those individuals as hypocrites. What, first of all, what do you say concerning Christ? Who is he? Do you know the truth concerning Christ? Have, okay, you know who he is? Have you humbled yourself and declared him Lord of your life? If they answer no to those questions, then they're not hypocrites. They're not saved. (laughs) Right? So now we know they need to be saved. And in God's giving you the grace, you know the truth, then what you need to do is present the gospel and prayerfully get them saved. Now, if they do proclaim Christ as Lord, all right, then we need to be, our mindset needs to be, well, how can I help them in their walk, help them grow in the Lord? The easiest thing is to do is to complain about people, but can we be a part of the solution to help people grow in the Lord? But just as David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. show of hands who has given your life to Christ in this place we just read the scripture you are blessed now of you who have given your life to Christ Show of, hand, show of hands, if any of you have left sin in your rearview mirror. Anybody? In other words, who doesn't sin anymore? Maybe I need to rephrase the question. No. So it looks like being saved doesn't doesn't exempt us from committing sin. We still sin. And yet the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The gift of God, but the gift of God is eternal life, right? All right, so here we are. We save folk, house full of hypocrites, apparently. Not you, sweetheart. Not you, sweetheart. (laughs) 
We are such a great testimony to the world because here we are. God revealed himself to us in such a way that we gave our hearts to him. Now, we're not what we used to be, right? There is evidence of the presence of God in our lives. We don't, we don't just willy-nilly just continue to go on and, and, and engaging in, in, in sin uh, as though, as though uh, nothing has changed in our lives. You know, we, there is evidence, there should be evidence that Christ is in us and we are in him. But not a single hand went up when I asked if, if uh, does anybody stop sinning? And I don't, I don't know who's going to watch this. Anybody in the world can watch this. I just want to let you know the church is not a sin-free environment. But we are blessed of the Lord. We walk humbly with our God. And when we are convicted of sin, the example we need is to repent. Own it. Repent, not justify it, excuse it away. Own it. Repent and get right with God. And that's something that we will ever be doing as we continue to walk with him and grow. You may have problems in your life things you wish you didn't have to deal with, but your lawless deeds are forgiven. You may have struggles in certain areas of your life. Your sins are covered. Blessed are you against whom the Lord will not count your sins. It's not by works We are justified through faith. Amen? Amen? Later on in that chapter, in verse 16, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In other words, not only the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well, who come to Christ in faith. And only through faith is the, is the spigot of God's grace open and poured on us and, and, we, and, and abounds upon us. In the next chapter, Romans chapter 5, verses, just the first two verses, says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate benefit that we get from this. We have peace with God. We don't, this isn't just peace of mind. This isn't just, I have a peace in my heart. No. We go from enemies of God to having peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Hallelujah. We stand in this grace. We have standing with God through this grace that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen? And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So when God, you know, Paul spends the first three chapters proving that we're guilty, God's just, we're guilty of the law and deserve the punishment of the law. And then he begins to flip later in chapter 3, goes on from chapter 4, on to chapter 5, we're reading right now, letting us know, but God's grace is extended to us through faith in Christ Jesus. 
So when God was completely justified to give us eternal death and damnation, this is the gospel. I'm, I'm going to I want to help you be a better fisher of men, right? You don't need theological degrees and all this other stuff. You need to know the gospel. You know the gospel and your testimony, then you are a danger to the gates of hell. Amen? When God was completely justified to give us eternal death and damnation, he gave us Christ instead that his grace may abound to us through him. I didn't give y'all this, but uh, verse 19 of chapter five in Romans says, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. We know that's Adam. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The obedience of Christ is through his obedience, him going to that cross for us. Through his obedience, we are made righteous. And all God asks is for us to, to own our sin, to humble ourselves before him, and to receive the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the, I said this earlier, it is the obedience of Jesus Christ that opened wide the spigots of God's grace to us. Hallelujah. And I will finish in 2 Corinthians 5, another very familiar passage, starting at the 17th verse, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. But pastor, all these people raised their hands and said they were Christians and all of them sat on their hands when you asked if they have stopped sinning. So how can the old be passed away and the new has come if the sin has not stopped? Again, we are a new creation spiritually in the Lord, we were saved. We became new creations by grace through faith the moment that we gave our hearts to Jesus Christ. And in that moment, we became sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that was apart from performance. Again, what does Ephesians 2 say? 8 and 9. By grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The work was done by Christ. Right? The devil would have each of us think that in order for you to be legit, the devil's like has an attitude of prove it to me. Prove to me you're a son and you're a daughter. And he wants you to run through hoops for him to try and get you into an attitude of performance, an attitude of works. But really, we need to understand the truth of the matter is that out of what has happened on the inside, God is calling us to a standard of truth, a standard of living in obedience to his word of truth. He's saying, yield your members to righteousness now because of who you are. You don't have to prove anything to God. He knows you're his already. You don't have to prove you're a son of God. He's already declared you a son and a daughter of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not, I'm not condoning sin. I'm, I, 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 I'm, what I want to do is to, have to divorce the, the whole notion of works that makes it seem like we got to earn something that cannot be earned. It can only be gifted to us through, by faith in Christ Jesus. I hope I'm not muddying these waters. It may be clear as mud for all I know, but I can only give it to you uh, as, as I'm led to present it. But you are 
a new creation. You are. You were saved the day you gave your heart to the Lord. Now you have to work out your soul salvation with fear and trembling. You are continuing to be saved from one sin, from one bondage, from one issue to another. Not because you weren't saved in the first place. You're, you were saved. Your, lamb was written, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. But you're a finished product that God is still working on. And his objective is to conform you into the image of his son. We're all saved right now. But you know what? The full manifestation of that salvation has yet to occur. And the Bible says we have the Holy Spirit in us as the guarantee that that day is a sure thing. Uh, before I finish this up, uh, I do want to go, go back to the reference of the Satan um, tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Because it applies here. And I'm talking about sons and daughters and your identity is rooted in him and what the word of God says about you. If the word of God says by grace through faith you are a son and daughter of God, then you are a son and daughter of God by grace through faith. You may be a flawed one. But who isn't? What did Satan really try to attack in Jesus? He tried to attack his identity. He tried to attack the sonship. Because he said, if you really are the son of God, then do this. Turn this stone into bread. If you really are who you say you are, if you really are a son, the son of God, Class yourself off this cliff. Every word of God is God-breathed and beneficial for us. So there's a reason God wanted that in the scripture so we can read it. It shows the devil's tactics. He's going to try and attack you if you really are a daughter of God then run through this hoop for me. If you really are a son of God, then do this. I don't have to prove anything to the devil. Right? My sonship is defined by the word of God. My sonship, God has already defined that. It's based on what Christ Jesus has done. So I don't have to prove to the world. I don't have to prove to Satan. I don't have to prove to anyone that I'm a son of God. Uh, because if I feel I have to prove to someone that I am, then I'm really saying I got to prove to myself who I am. And that seed of doubt has hit its mark. And Jesus combated it every time with the word of God. Thou shalt not live by bread alone. But every word that flows out of the mouth of God, thou shalt not tempt the Lord. Hey, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Thou shalt have no idols, right? There's only one God. So the devil's tactics are still the same. He wants to attack us in our identity. And he's been very effective to that. And every little mistake we make, he, want, he, he wants to be there and he wants to poke that, that doggone wound and make us feel like that we have sacrificed our sonship or our daughtership. And, and when we start feeling that way, guess what we do? We hide. We hide from God. We hide from our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're not willing to be transparent because we feel like we've lost something that we really didn't lose. The devil makes us isolate instead of having us run into community and get the support and get the accountability and get the encouragement that we need to keep keeping on on our path toward Christ's likeness. Are you hearing me today? Amen. And I think one of the biggest hurdles that we need to overcome, if we need to settle that issue, I am a son or daughter of Christ Jesus. That's a settled issue because of what Christ has done for me, 
and I place my faith in him, I am a child of God. And God sees me that way apart from my performance. Will he chastise me because he loves me? You better believe he will. You get out of line, will he deal with you? Yes, he will, but he, he loves you. He's, whatever he does is designed for your betterment, for your growth, for your increase, that Christ may be formed in you. But make no mistake about it, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All of you have a ministry. In Christ Jesus, God was ministering reconciliation, reconciling us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us, all of us, the message of reconciliation. People need to know God wants to be reconciled with you. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I know that's a hard, sometimes that's a hard thing to get our minds around, but in Christ, In Christ, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I want you all to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice for you are blessed because your sins are forgiven. going to ask you to stand. Your sins are forgiven because on a cross, much older and much more rugged than that one, much more imposing and intimidating and scary than that one, Jesus was nailed to it and died on that cross. And he willingly let himself be subjected to it. Because God in his great love and great mercy toward us wanted to be reconciled with us. And we could not ever live good enough lives, be good enough people, for that to happen. And so God did it himself on our behalf. And all he asks is that we come to him, that we renounce our own way of life, that we acknowledge that we are sinners and we acknowledge that, 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 that God not only exists, but God created us and all that is in the heavens and the earth. But that we acknowledge that he sent his only begotten son, born of a virgin, to be the atoning sacrifice for us. Because God's heart toward us is not to condemn us. He doesn't want to send us to hell 
He doesn't want us to spend eternity in the lake of fire. He wants us to be reconciled with him. Praise God, you and I have heard that wonderful, glorious gospel message and responded in faith. And we've been reconciled with God. But I want to challenge us all. I want to activate you. I want to enlist you. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to, to take that gospel message everywhere you can, wherever you have influence, and let people know that there is a God in heaven that loves them and wants to be reconciled with them. He paid the way for them to have peace with him. Because he loves them. Hallelujah. Father God, in the name of Jesus, We thank you for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The story of the prodigal son, Father God, we, we all can relate because we've all been him. Every one of us at one time were prodigal sons or prodigal daughters, living our lives recklessly, living our lives uh, lavishly in some cases, living our lives the way we wanted to live and without regard for what pleased you and what grieved your heart. But you showed yourself to us, oh God. And in the prodigal son story, we all know what it's like to reach the end of ourselves. Realize the, the, the dead end of our ways. And we came to ourselves and we repented and bowed the knee to you. Glory to God. We've been there. Thank you, Father God, for choosing us. Thank you for choosing to reconcile us. Thank you for giving your son on our behalf. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace abounding much more over our sins. And Father, I just pray that we yield ourselves to you and allow the Holy Spirit to have his full work in us. To lead us into all truth, convict us of sin, and sanctify us. Unto maturity. Maturity.